I'm really pleased to be able to present our, uh, our post-lunch interview. Um, the great political philosopher Homer Simpson once described uh, alcohol as the cause of and solution to all life's problems. I think probably uh, something like that uh, describes the feeling a lot of privacy advocates uh, have about Google on the one hand in order to provide us with uh, uh, innovative uh, free services. Um, they gather enormous amounts of data for the purpose of customizing those services for us, but also become uh, a, an enormous cache of incredibly sensitive information um, that governments uh, can and indeed do seek to exploit um, for their own purposes. Uh, and at the same time, while they're such an essential partner uh, it, with governments that uh, conduct surveillance, they have become especially uh, over the last year and changed since the Snowden revelations, um, one of the most powerful forces, uh, both uh, advocating for greater transparency about surveillance, uh, more rigorous limits on surveillance, uh, and technologically trying to ensure that the systems to which we are entrusting our data uh, are secure against unauthorized surveillance. So I can think of no one more appropriate um, to address uh, our conference than Google Chairman Eric Schmidt, and no one uh, better suited to interview him than uh, Craig Timberg, uh, the Washington Post national technology reporter and part of the uh, Pulitzer-winning uh, team at the Post that has reported on the Snowden uh, disclosures. Uh, pass it off to Craig Timberg. Uh, thank you all. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for coming, and thank you to our TV audience on C-SPAN. Um, this is a, an incredibly impressive group of people that the Cato Institute has put together today. Some of the uh, most, you know, most august minds in the legal, policy-making, journalistic circles. And so I'm very honored to be here, and I'm very pleased that Dr. Schmidt has agreed to find some time for us in his very busy schedule to talk about uh, surveillance. And thank you guys for having me. This is an incredibly important conversation. Great. So I'm going to, just so you know, I'm going to ask a few questions about halfway through. I'm hoping to open up the floor to questions. So if there's something you've been dying to ask Eric Schmidt for many years, this is your opportunity. Uh, so for now, I'm, I'll, I'll start off here. Uh, so when the Washington Post first learned that the NSA was tapping the links between data centers for Google uh, around the world, uh, some of our reporters showed a diagram of how this worked to some of your engineers who responded with a fusillade of words that we could not print yes. in our family newspaper. So I was wondering if you could tell us exactly how you learned that this was happening and what your first thoughts were at the time. So um, as best we can tell, what happened was the GCHQ, which is the British arm of the Five Eyes, had put sniffers or the equivalent of sniffers on traffic between the data centers uh, of Google. Google has a very large private data network that moves the data around in very complicated, powerful ways. It's why, why Google works so well. And it's a massive and amazing technical achievement from Google's perspective. I read it in the Washington Post. And uh, I was shocked because Jared Cohen and I had written a book which talked about this being possible and people had hinted that it was possible to do this by monitoring light fiber, uh, although I think the, way, the mechanisms are probably classified, we obviously didn't know. Uh, but the fact that it had been done so, so directly and documented in the, in the documents that were leaked was really a shock to the company. 
So here we are, we're more than a year later from that day. We're about a year and a half from the original Snowden revelations. And the Morgan Stanley High Tech 35 index is up 20%, right? Google remains one of the most massively profitable companies in the world. So has there been real damage to you or to the industry or to us more broadly? Well, there's been damage sort of at many levels. Um, and, and let's start by saying that um, the, if you're a European right now, you're less likely to trust an American firm to retain your data. Um, maybe you should have always been less, less likely, but now as a result of these revelations, you're less likely. Um, as a company, what Google did is we massively encrypted our internal systems using um, a, uh, the technical people in the audience encryption that's 2048-bit long, 2048 long. And for the non-technical, I'll just describe that 2048 is much larger than the original 1024. It's not twice as big. It's many, many times bigger. And uh, it's generally viewed that this level of encryption is unbreakable in our lifetimes by any sets of human beings in any way. We'll see if that's really true. But I today believe that if you have important information, the safest place to keep it is in Google. And I can assure you that the safest place to not keep it is anywhere else because of the level of attacks. First, the, the Chinese attack, and then later the NSA, GCHQ, whatever you want to call it, attack. Um, so it has affected our relations, and in particular conversations in Europe where people are very sensitive to this. Um, it's also caused us to tighten every procedure within our system. So uh, we're just a lot safer. So assuming there is a cost, a financial cost or a moral cost, who, who do you blame for that, the US government or Edward Snowden? Well, I'd like to offer a rule of sort of surveillance life, which just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. And the fact of the matter is that all of the technologies that we're describing are capable of massive, you know, in the hands of the wrong person, violations of people's privacy. Everyone here has a mobile phone. Every one of those phones is on a data network. The phone knows exactly where it is because of E911 services. Right? The fact of the matter is all of that information could be misused. And so I think the Snowden sort of set of incidents, including your coverage and all the other things, have essentially sort of caused people to, maybe the non-technical people, some technical people have known this for a long time, understand that there's a great deal of data being collected about you that's benign, but nevertheless could be misused in the wrong hands. So as an example, uh, I would offer a rule for governments, which is that if you collect data in a database, you better be sure you know what the data is gonna be used for, and you better make sure it doesn't get leaked. Because along the way, technological opportunities have allowed for large bulk leaking. We look back at the Pentagon Papers leaks. Those things were done by copiers. People would copy documents. But now a, 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 an opponent, if you will, can take the equivalent of USB sticks and download a large amount of data in a very short period of time. This is true for everyone in every country and every you know, so forth. So you want to be careful about collecting this data and not misusing it. I was part of a White House task force that looked into the technical questions of this. We were not part of the policy side. The, the, the White House also issued a policy recommendation unrelated to us. And the question was, can metadata be misused? And the answer we came back with is yes. That metadata, that is information about the data as opposed to the data itself, 
um, can, using very complicated and powerful algorithms that scientists have invented, can it be misused, right? So that's why the industry, um, and particularly Google, but all the other countries, uh, companies, excuse me, oppose the US uh, 215 stuff, because although the government claimed that that was not a misuse of the data, our argument was that the metadata itself could be misused. And I think these are learnings that the country has to, to, has to now know sort of forever. So I feel like you answered the US government part of it. You hold them to, to account. Edward Snowden, hero or villain, year and a half later, how does it look? It's interesting that in, depending on who you ask in America, you get a different answer. The same, it turns out the same as with Julian Assange, who's busy attacking Google and me, and me at the moment. If you, if you sort of, if it's a stereotype, if you talk to the East Coasters, um, East Coasters tend to view these things in very, very negative contexts. West Coasters, again, these are generalizations, they're always exceptions, tend to view it much more in a civil libertarian view. And I'll let the courts decide on those questions. We clearly do not want to encourage bulk data leaking. Imagine, again, think of all the databases that exist about us, all of you, health records, tax records, where you are, what you're doing, all that kind of stuff. It's not good for society to encourage people to do that. On the other hand, his disclosures were helpful in shining the light on these practices that certainly people like myself and maybe you didn't know existed. We knew they were possible, but the extent of them was a shock. Hmm. And especially when it starts to monitoring data traffic between Google servers where they're clearly monitoring traffic for people who are in the US, which as I understand, and I'm not a lawyer, is not their mission. So the response from the tech industry to the Snowden revelations has been fairly clear. Massive new encryption initiatives, as you mentioned. Uh, lawyers for the companies being much tougher in court about turning sure. over data. Uh, the response from the US government, a little less clear, I think. Uh, a little more mud muddied at this point. I'm curious, if you were to give your industry a grade, A to F, for how it's responded and how the US government has responded? Well, I'm proud of our industry's response because we knew that encryption was powerful, and Google was the, um, there's a set of things that we do. For, and it's not just the 2040-bit encryption. So, for example, when the email systems talk to each other, uh, Gmail, for example, is all fully encrypted, all the way from your handheld you know, into the system and out. But what happens when the email goes from server A to server B? Well, it turns out there's a protocol, which the industry has now agreed to, which will maintain the encryption as it goes from Gmail to Yahoo or Hotmail or what have you. Right, so the industry as a unit, right, acted to protect its, its users' interests and the data is all legal. Um, I'd say that the government's response has been fairly clear. And I'll tell a story. Um, in 1995, um, Louis Free was the FBI director, I believe. And we had the first of one of these. And there was a meeting in Dianne Feinstein's office which were the CEOs of the time. I was at Novell. And the people who were there were Steve Case, Bill Gates, myself, a few others. And we had the public safety people, right, who were serious people trying to do the right thing, including Louis Free and the director of the NSA. And she asked them to report on the dangers of all of this. And what they wanted was they wanted the trap door. They wanted the, the trap door, the, uh, this was stimulated after the V-chip, the idea that the government could you know, with a warrant or some other mechanism, go in there and watch all the email traffic. And I remember distinctly sitting there, listening to these presentations and saying, virtually all criminals now use email, right? And what we want to do is we want to be able to watch the email. 
Now our industry, and I remember the, the meeting, we snuck out the back door because we, we were not allowed to talk to the press and off we went. So this is 20 years later, it's exactly the same conversation. And the problem with the, the government requests is it'd be great if you're the government to have a trap door, but how do we, Google, know that the other government's not taken over the trap door from you? Right? And we can't prove, and we're not endorsing, this notion of a US trap door, which is precisely what the public safety people would like. Our argument, which I think is, is very clear now and it's true throughout the industry, is that the government has so many ways and properly so, by the way, to go in what we call the front door. They're called warrants, okay? They're called good police work. They're called sitting the perpetrator in the desk with the guy in the front. You know, you see this in the movies. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. And just because you could put a trap door in does not mean that you do for all of the unintended consequences of it. So you raise an interesting point with the warrants. Uh, as you all clearly were particularly aggrieved that when, because you had a front door that the NSA was availing itself of, of the back door. And you all have done encryption. Well, by the way, we did not intend to put a back door in. Fair enough. Right? There isn't a back door <laughs> left. The house Apologies. only has front doors. <laughs> right. Uh, so we, we've seen uh, Google and a lot of other companies do these big encryption initiatives. There's, there's like a new wave of encryption, though, that doesn't even have a front door to it, that where if the government comes to you with a search warrant, the company doesn't even keep track of it. Apple has done this with iMessage and FaceTime. WhatsApp has now done it with end-to-end -end encryption. I'm curious what you think of these encryption initiatives that actually lock out the government entirely, where the, where the company can open the door. And I'm curious if we're going to see that with any Google products. Let me not pre-announce any Google products here, uh, but let me simply say that one of the, it has been known for a long time, and again, we wrote this in our book, that encryption in the hands of individuals is very empowering. And encryption is an incredibly powerful tool for freedom fighters uh, in repressive regimes. But it also does allow people who are evil or nasty to communicate bilaterally. Now, the good news is that these are, systems are not that easy to use. And we argue in the book, and I'll say again, that you're probably winning when the evil person is using a cell phone. Because trust me, those cell phones, if you're trying to find them and you're a government, and you're willing to look for them, you can find them. The cell phones emit where they are. Um, and indeed, this is how Osama bin Laden was tracked down, is through ultimately through cell phone tapping, according to the reports. So I'm not as sensitive to this argument that, that this is the only way to solve this problem. But the, it is a fact, right, that powerful encryption has been around for since 1975, when it was invented in the public key crypto system by uh, Diffie and Hellman. And because of in my view, the overreach of perhaps well-intentioned but ultimately flawed strategies, this encryption capability is becoming more and more available. And so, so would you, do you like these kinds of services that actually are encrypted so thoroughly that the companies themselves can't get into them? Do you think this is a good idea or is this a terrible idea for the reasons you mentioned? You're asking me sort of an emotional question as opposed to a factual question. Either the, one. But the, the fact is, that PGP authentication, right, which is, is the kind of stuff you're talking about, has been possible for many, many years. Right. And the thing that has held it back has been key management, the ability to handle the keys. But because of what the government did, all of those services are getting a lot easier. So I, my opinion is that you'll see more and more of these essentially proxied, cloaked, and otherwise communication systems. Um, historically, if you go back to the small towns of the world, 
you know, 200 or 300 years ago, there was no anonymity like that. And so you worry that that anonymity could be misused, and you never want it to be misused. Um, on the other hand, I, I would say that in every case, remember, the person is doing this with a device that itself can be followed or what have you, if they are a legitimate danger to society. You know, if it's an evil terrorist, you can find that phone. So it sounds like you would, you'd like to see the front door, the proper court yeah. door remain open. Well, uh, I, I have my own issues with the Patriot Act because it's a secret court. And I think the base, that one of the great strengths of America has been an independent court system, proper balance of rights and individuals, um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, and I'm not advocating this, so please don't say this. We can end essentially all crime in this city in a very short period of time, except for emotional crime, that is uh, you know, a spur of the moment crime, by massive surveillance. Now, we should not do this. Other countries may choose to do that. The fact that you can do it, the fact that you can, for example, put cameras on every street corner and do face detection, which is indeed what's happening in Britain, is not something we should do. But I can assure you it will affect crime. So you want to be careful about these tools. They can be very seriously misused. And again, so we're clear, that kind of mass surveillance is completely counter to what America is and a counter to uh, the American Constitution. So about a year ago, um, after the Snowden revelations, the Washington Post polled on how people felt about surveillance. And you will not be surprised to know that I believe 66% of Americans expressed concern that the NSA was over-surveilling. We also polled on private companies and 69% of Americans expressed concern that Google was surveilling. Okay, which, you, we, which we are not. But, but, but help. The, the good news about that question is you can ask me and I can answer it definitively. So, but the do, answer is no. You do collect a lot of data, right? You uh, don't, presumably you the, don't. The data shows up in the normal course of operations. Right, and you use that data to, to serve ads, and that's sort of essential to your business model. Fair? That's fine. Okay. So for those Americans who are concerned, that, and in, in a way that's in roughly similar numbers to concern about NSA, what, what can you say to them about Google and the way private sector collection works that's different so, than so government? As a general statement, I think that people are very concerned about privacy, and I think that the recent um, illegal disclosures of personal information and photos, the Sony attack, the Jennifer Garner attacks, all that kind of stuff, heighten the sense that there's this thing that's out of control and is dangerous. And so the average person, right, who you know, we occasionally encounter a normal person in my industry, um, sort of the normal person says, like, I just don't understand this. I'm worried about it. Why can't you get this fixed? And we're working on that. So I think a lot of these questions really come back to, am I safe on the internet? Uh, am I about to be attacked by a virus? Is my personal information about to be disclosed to everyone? And so forth and so on. So Google has a series of answers to that. But I think that's what's driving it. I also think that's what's driving a lot of the concerns in Europe. Right? That people are correctly worried that incredibly important information about them, to them, private information will somehow get released. So in Google's case, we have a whole bunch of mechanisms. We have a, a, a page which will allow you to control what we retain about you. And I invite you to take a look at it. It's called the dashboard. Um, there's also a way in Chrome to browse called incognito browsing, where no information of any kind is maintained about what you're doing. So, and those are publicly, anyone can use them. Good people, bad people, can't tell if they're good or bad people, whatever. It's available, those are services and they've been around for a long time. So part of my answer to the question of Google's role here is, we do need to retain a certain amount of information for our systems to work. 
but unlike many others, we make it very easy for you to delete that, mask it, or avoid it entirely. Let me change the subject just a little bit. Google now makes the most popular mobile operating system in the world, one of the most popular browsers in the world. We know that our government collects zero days against all manner of um, potentially useful targets. Uh, Google's put some money into figuring out where the, where the zero days may be in its product with, with Project Zero. How do you feel about your government with your tax money potentially gathering and uh, using zero days against your own products? Is there an arms race on here between the companies and, and uh, the government? I'm not as worried about that. I think the government does a lot of things that I don't like. Um, but, and maybe everyone here in the room feels the same way, but the fact of the matter is um, if, you, if you care about security, which I'm sure everyone in this room does, you should use Chrome. The reason you should use Chrome is it's free, always good. It's also faster, good. It's also the safest and most secure. Chrome has the detectors that are the best detectors for look at the equivalent of what, what are known as man-in-the-middle man attacks and various phishing attacks. So from a safety perspective, we have invested a large amount of money in making Chrome the right choice from a browsing perspective. Um, there is a debate over Android versus iOS, and both are now working very hard. I publicly claimed that Android was safer. There are other people who've argued that, I was, that my facts were wrong. I've argued that there were facts wrong. So we'll just be polite and say that there's a debate. Both Android and iOS, are work, which is the Apple operating system, are working very hard to make them more safe. So let me uh, use this opportunity to allow you to potentially clarify some remarks you made a few years ago in a CNBC interview in 2009, <laughs> where you said, if you have something you don't want anyone to know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Now, that caused quite a stir at the time in certain communities. Yeah, and, and, and I want to give you an opportunity. It, thank is, that, you. is that still how you feel, or did we no, misunderstand it? No, what's great about that is that it, it was the first moment I actually felt sorry for American politicians. <laughs> um, if you, the, the, that entire paragraph was about the Patriot Act. And if you read it in context, you'll see I was commenting on the Patriot Act. But because of the echo chamber of the internet, right? I guess that little quote is long enough it fits in Twitter, but the paragraph doesn't. Well, if you type in Eric Schmidt, privacy is, privacy is dead, immediately gets filled in by Google, so, helpfully. So, so well, <laughs> it's important to know that that is not driven by Google, but rather by frequency of, of query. Yes, no, I know. <laughs> so Google's algorithms did not produce that result. Human algorithms did. Okay. But in any case, since, since we have a very smart audience here, the answer is I'm not a fan of the Patriot Act. And uh, the reason is the secret court part of it. Uh, I understand secrecy has, uh, ha has its purpose and so forth. But our country over secrefies, whatever you want to call it, a lot of things. A lot of things are classified, et cetera, et cetera. We would be a stronger country in almost all matters if we were less um, obnoxious about some of the classifications and some of the ways in which we collect data. I'm quite convinced of it. The great greatness of America is the speed with which we address problems. And the way to do that is you do that with knowledge. So the answer is I was referring to the Patriot Act. I was not referring to general privacy. I actually care a lot about privacy. And uh, Google has worked very hard to improve your privacy. So Google ends up in these debates more than almost any other company I cover. And there's some, I mean, I just wonder, is there something about the company, you know, you all are the first ones out with the, with the glasses, right? And that Google now apparently identifies my desires before I even have them and then gives me advice on how to organize my day. There's something. You, okay, but, but, but <laughs> as smart as you are, wouldn't you like the computer to help you organize your day? 
No. No. Okay, but but, oh, but, no, no, but no, no, no. You heard that. No, no. But I, you I'm, are in a minority. I, I'm, I'm a the Luddite. average no, person no. would like the computer to help them get through the day because their lives are different. I just, I just, so I want to ask: Is there something about Google that makes these tensions particularly hard to untangle? I'm, so my opinion of this is: Google. We set ourselves up for this, in, as a long time ago, by talking about "don't be evil." And when you set a don't be evil strategy, that's a pretty strong line. And so if people feel like you're violating that rule, they have a pretty strong fight back. And I get that, right? So we have answers for these. Um, in the particular cases that you're describing uh, with Google Glass, it's interesting. So for years, we've had internally the ability to do face recognition and tell you who you're going to talk to. Now, in my advanced age, this is clearly a very useful product. Um, we actually got to the point when I was CEO where we actually had one of these products that we had this meeting, and I'll never forget. And they, were, they basically said, we've built this product. And I said, well, what's, what are we going to do? And they said, we're canceling it. And I said, why? And they said, well, let's start with it's illegal in Europe. I said, okay, I got that. Because in, in Europe, it's illegal to maintain a non-registered, non-governmental, private biometric database, which is effectively what it is. I said, what about in the, in the US? They said, well, we think, it's, your, you know, we think it's, a, it's legal in the US, but it's a mistake. And I said, why is it a mistake? Well, start thinking about the bad uses, right? Stalking, all those kinds of things. And we there decided not to release this product. So when Google Glass comes along, what do we do? Normally, we have an open, open approach. In Google Glass, we ban those kinds of products for precisely those reasons. So, I hear this sort of perception that somehow we're not playing by the rules of modern society. I think it's wrong. I think the evidence is that Google has been incredibly sensitive of privacy issues, right, over these kinds of things. And compared to everybody else in the industry, I will stand on our record. We're very, very sensitive to these things for many reasons, including it's the right thing, and also because we're so heavily criticized and so heavily scrutinized. If we were to make a mistake and release such a product, it would be a real disaster to the company. So let me just quickly take a couple of questions from the audience because we're running out of time. Uh, about back there in the blue shirt, um, can we get a microphone on him so the TV people can hear him talk? Yeah. And, be, and please be kind of brief. We don't have a lot of time. Uh, I'm Paul Wagner from Beyond Systems. Uh, my question is, does Google receive information from the Chrome browser uh, that it would not receive from the user if, if he or she used some other browser? Uh, whether in incognito mode or in sort of open mode. And same question with the Android phone. And is, uh, is there therefore a danger that if it does, is there a danger that Google will have a detailed profile on users that then will be accessible to federal authorities, possibly through a secret order? I see order? your question. Um, at the level of question you're asking, I think the answer is no. Um, browsers themselves, you know, uh, the apps do communicate information. But we don't sit there and track things beyond the URL and, and where you went. And that information you can delete. Um, if you're using incognito mode, we don't have any of that at all. If you're concerned, if for whatever reason you do not wish to be tracked by federal and state authorities, uh, I, my strong recommendation would be to use incognito uh, mode. And that's what people do. Um, the problem with incognito mode is that you then lose the authentication services and the other data retention services where we retain the information long enough to make the algorithms better. And again, you can, you can control the length of time that it's retained. But if your position is, I want zero retention, you use incognito mode. OK, let's take one more question in the front here. Can we get a microphone? My name is uh, Chris Segoyan. I work for the ACLU. Before I ask the question, I actually just want to quibble and say that incognito mode will do nothing to protect you from surveillance by the authorities. That is not the right technology. And there are technologies like Tor that are, will do a much better job. But so my question is this. In, in, in 2009. I, 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 let, me, let me respond to that. 
I'm referring to Google's part of that. Using Tor is a whole nother conversation, um, which may or may not be appropriate in certain situations, and we can discuss Let, let me quickly ask this question. In 2009, you were interviewed by NPR, uh, and you were asked by the host of the show why Google collected data, collected and retained data about users, and you, you gave two reasons. The first one being what you described before, which is Google needs a certain amount of data in order to provide the services that it does to its customers, to, to mine data and, and, and figure out what they want to do. But the second reason you gave in that interview was to hand it over to law enforcement agencies in response to a subpoena or search warrant. That was a, a very surprising response, and I wanted to give you the opportunity to correct the record. Does Google collect data in order to provide it to law enforcement agencies later? So again, I may have misspoken or you may not have misheard my, my request. There are plenty of of situations where the law effectively wants or requires tracking. Um, and in Europe, for example, there's something called the European Data Privacy Initiative, which started this. And for the way to understand this is that there's a balance of interest between civil liberties and short-term police action. And if you look at police action, most of the time when police need information, they need relatively recent information. So we negotiated for a long time over all of these issues, and we came down with roughly a 12-month number, which is that from a standpoint of public safety, that kind of retention was sort of 12-ish months, and that's roughly where the standards have been set. So that's what I meant to say, if that's helpful. And that was not, this was not our choice. This was essentially forced on us by governments. Uh, think about it is um, governments, the police are going to want to have something that they can subpoena in most of these countries. Right, especially for a legitimate police case and so forth and so on. And that was ultimately how that, and that's true across the industry. Uh, we have time for maybe one or two more questions right there. Can we get a microphone for this gentleman here and th four rows back, three rows back? Can I, can I just keep one in? Sure. Oh, Julian, fire away. Uh, um, <laughs> Julian from Cato. Um, you because you mentioned key management, you reminded me I had written a piece a couple of years back suggesting that, hey, Google was in a sort of unique position as a kind of de facto identity provider to, um, to solve to some extent, the key management problem to make strong end-to-end -end encryption something that was not sort of just for geeks, but a kind of usable mass phenomenon. And the resp response I got from a lot of people was, you gotta be kidding me, their business model is collect a bunch of data, store a bunch of data, and use that to serve ads and for other purposes. So why would they you know, make data less accessible to them? They don't have any economic incentive. And now, I think some months ago, it was announced that um, there was a sort of a, uh, you know, sort of test phase of, of trying to make that uh, end-to-end -end encryption uh, a feature that was compatible with Gmail. Um, and I guess I wonder just how, how, do you, um, how do you balance those things? The, the, the people who are making these claims don't understand how Google works. Google's job is to build stuff that delights customers. And when governments illegally invade their privacy, that's like a negative, right? So it's easy to understand why we would, why we would try to make these systems stronger. We don't make the decisions based on revenue. We make the best on, on really delightful products. And security and privacy are a key part of them. And that's, how it, that's literally how the decisions are made. Yes, sir. Please. Um, sorry, can we get the mic up here again? Or do you already have one? Oh, here. Okay. Hi, I'm Stephen Lee from Global Clan Consulting. Um, just wanted to check uh, the... In Europe, I understand this and there is this um, request to have feature like the right to be forgotten on the internet. I'd like to know uh, what Google has done and, and also in conjunction with the industry to move towards uh, this, uh, being able to effectively enforce that right. So thank you for asking. Um, 
in May, we lost a court judgment at the European Central Court of Justice. Uh, and what they, found, what they found, which in the European system is like the Supreme Court, forces the following. It sa- the order says, Google shall, as opposed to anyone else, um, determine if information is from a non-public person and of non-public interest. And if it's from a non-public person and non-public interest, we are required to remove it. Even if that information is retained on, for example, newspaper sites. The particular court had to do with a a fellow who had a tax problem in Spain 20 years ago, and he wanted that result removed, even though the newspaper is protected by the Spanish civil uh, civil laws. So we have been forced to do that. Uh, There are more than 150,000 requests. Roughly speaking, we grant slightly less than 50% of these requests based on the criteria. Um, If people are rejected by us, they complain about Google's choice, and they have, in theory, they have a right to appeal to their governments, although it's unclear to me. And we've had to spend a great deal of money to to implement the system. It is by force of law, and it uh, covers the 28 European countries and European citizens. Just in the U.S., there is no such law. We'll take one last question right there. Can we get a microphone for this gentleman in the fourth row? Yeah, thank you. Rafael de Janeiro. Do you worry that all of the data you collect will be misused somehow, someday, by your successor, by an employee of yours who's paid or essentially becomes a spy of one kind or another? I mean, if you live long enough, you sort of see how things work. We do, and and here's how we think about it. Um, If there were a data breach, that was by an internal person at Google or something, it would be terrible, obviously for the person breached, but also for the reputation of the company. So we have many, many checks and balances on where information is kept, how it can be misused, and so forth. And we pride ourselves on having the best, best such systems in the world. So while I understand the concern, just because of our scale, the combination of the retention rules that we have, which is the amount of time we keep this information, like query logs, um, I think we're going to be okay. Right? It's important that these breaches not occur. They're against our policy, and they're almost certainly illegal. Um, well, my successor is Larry Page, who implemented all these policies. So I think we're fine with Larry, and Larry's going to be around for a long time. Um, 30 or 40 years from now, when perhaps Larry and Sergey will be older, I'm sure it, you know, it's the same circus, same clouds, right? Same clowns, right? Where it's the same people, all of us who built Google have the same view, and I'm sure our successors will have the same view. Okay, well, thank you, Dr. Schmidt, for joining us here today. Thank you. Sorry, we didn't have...